Hello, and welcome to the Freedom Challenge online podcast. Here at the Freedom Challenge, we strive to do good by helping enslaved women and children to do more than you ever thought physically possible and to do it together by connecting women with a heart for a hurting world. We hope you enjoy your time being informed and encouraged with host Tracy Doherty and our amazing guests. So let's get ready and join Tracy for this week's episode. Hello, Freedom Sisters and listeners. Thank you for joining me today. If you have never heard about the Freedom Challenge, we are a group of passionate women dedicated to freeing oppressed and enslaved women and children from around the world. How do we do this, you say? We do it by participating in physical challenges that test our limits while raising funds and awareness to combat these dark social injustices. Now, about two or three times a year, the Freedom Challenge will invite small groups of women to experience the international ministries that we support through Operation Mobilization. Phenomenal organization. This becomes an opportunity for women to expand their biblical worldview, to build meaningful relationships in another culture, and also just to bring encouragement We love to show the impact of our reach and also just to get women out of the comfort zone. I like to say that a comfort zone is a beautiful place, but nothing is growing there. And isn't that true? So today, I am happy to be joined by two women who participated in our summer trip in the Philippines last summer. Carice Williams, who is the program manager for the Freedom Challenge. I love this woman. She is a team member, and she was the leader of this trip last year, and she has invited one of these remarkable women who joined her, Alexis Sheehy. And Carice and Alexis, thank you for joining me here today. And would you share a little bit about yourself and why you decided to go on this trip to the Philippines last summer? Thanks so much, Tracy. Um, I'm happy to dive in. So like you mentioned, my name's Alexis. Um, this, my decision to go on this trip actually is beautifully tied into everything you said in the intro. I'm a big fan of, well, rather God's a big fan of kind of pushing me out of my comfort zone. And anytime I feel like there's an opportunity to um, get uncomfortable and really like step into discomfort and learn and grow, I'm kind of like a junkie for it. So I um, actually had just met Chris not much longer and we went to dinner one night and she was telling me about the trip to the Philippines and like instantly I felt the Lord say, yep, this is what you're going to do. And so kind of simple, but that was what ended up happening. I said, I'll think about it, but knew it was something that God had on the horizon for me. And so not much longer after I reached back out and said, okay, count me in. Um, Really not sure everything I was going to dive into, but that's kind of the fun for me in some ways. So Chris, what what do you think? Well, on my side, when the Freedom Challenge, you know, started planning out their different mission trips for that year, I had only been with the Freedom Challenge um, as an employee maybe a few months. And as soon as like we were listing them out, I knew that the Philippines was the one I wanted to um, be able to lead, mainly because um, just in prior work in anti-human trafficking, there was always uh, interconnection with the Philippines of 
um, from when I was in the military of just survivors that I had met from the Philippines. And I just loved the culture. I knew that that is where I wanted to kind of launch off with the Freedom Challenge and to just be able to take a group of women um, alongside was the most exciting part for me. So kind of inviting like all my new friends to it. And it was, you know, I would say like one of those like godly things that God did when when Alexis and I started talking. I want to hear a little bit more about Alexis. We want to know where are you living and what are you all about? It's funny. So we, so I moved to Atlanta now about a year and a half, almost two years ago from Fort Lauderdale. So I grew up in, in North Jersey, um, lived right outside of New York city. And then for school decided to go to Florida. Um, I had heard about actually freedom challenge because I worked in nonprofits for a little while. And one of the places I worked while I was in Fort Lauderdale was the national Christian foundation from South Florida. Yeah. Um, and actually a lot of support. Like I actually had heard about Freedom Challenge first from, I think, Ginger Martin. I moved to Atlanta for work. I work in um, talent development. I get the, I have an amazing job that the Lord just led me into. I moved from nonprofit to corporate and now I work with executives and leaders and um, just actually started a new job at another company leading their leadership development and talent development functions. So before we get into the meat of this conversation, uh, I, a couple of things. First, I'd love for you both to give kind of an aerial view of what were the components of this Freedom Challenge trip? Like, what did it actually look like? I think sometimes we um, step into things, unknown things. But when we have a little glimpse, our listeners, what do you actually do on a trip such as this? Um, it gives us, uh, it just allows us to have more curiosity toward it. So would you, would you paint that picture a little bit? Pretty much as soon as we got to the Philippines, it was time to go. We went running, we were welcomed by the field leaders of the Philippines and by a group of um, the young girls and young boys that have been supported through Freedom Challenge. They all welcomed us. They all um, said thank you. They they walked everywhere with us. Um, and then we got to do ministry with them. The first day, they actually all we separated into three different groups. Um, and there was a kind of like a leader of one of the youths that have been supported by the Freedom Challenge, one of the scholars, and they all took us to different neighborhoods, right? So there's groups that they all went to different neighborhoods. Most of these neighborhoods um, would be considered the slums um, of the Philippines. And I think what was very surprising, even for myself, because I didn't even know, was that when we got there, that's when like people were like, oh, they live here. Like this is where they're from. Like they're taking you into their actual neighborhood to do ministry. And for each group, it looked a little different. Alexis and I, I believe we're in that group that, that first day. Um, and we did like a children's Bible study and activities um, because this isn't just because we were there. This is something that they do every weekend. Um, mm -hmm. So all the kids kind of knew what was happening as soon as we got there. And we did some songs and shared some testimonies um, and read some stories. Um, and that was just the, the beginning. And from then on, they took us to every aspect of how they do ministry in the Philippines, um, whether it was at day centers where there was vulnerable girls, 
um, whether it was in different islands um, where they had built homes for families. Um, there was a, a large scope of, of the ministry that we got to do and just also live with um, our missionaries and the scholars there. Yeah, you mentioned the scholars, and mm-hmm. um, I'd love to hear um, one or both of you. Freedom Challenge has uh, participated in supporting that particular ministry for years, and it really falls in line to the prevention piece, you know, prevention of trafficking in people groups, and especially children and women who are so vulnerable. But I have heard that this particular ministry is effective, that it really impacts the community. Would you share a little bit more about what the scholar program does, what it looks like, and maybe even a few people that you met that were life's transformed? I was really impressed by the program, like even so much so that I continued to support like after. And I think what made it what was so unique too, and what I love about the way that you all partner with, you know, ministries that are on the ground and that are working right in that preventative way is that there's impact being made and we're coming and we're seeing how we can firsthand support with our time and with our prayers and connection. And they were just so, I remember the scholar who's like the first day we met the scholars, not, you know, fully understanding the whole picture and just kind of taking it all in when we got off like a 20 hour flight. <laughs> like, And I think I actually was sick the first night when we were like um, trying to figure out like what the time zone different and all that was. But anyway, I remember the next day going and still a little disoriented, but just ready for whatever we were going to do, who we were going to meet. And we met the scholars and they were just, the most, I mean, ages ranged, I think, right from like kind of mid older teens to um, mid twenties, some of them like college, some of them um, still in high school, but they were the just most, the biggest takeaway initially was they were the most joy filled people and like the, the, all of the staff as well, right? Like all of the, um, everyone that was there, like equipping and empowering the ministry, just so welcoming, so full of joy, so, so kind and humble. And I remember that day, like we met at the OM office and got to spend some time and we heard about the mission, um, the ministry and what their mission was and and how they were supporting and got to meet the scholars. And then after that, I think is when Carice was talking a little bit about it, but we went to visit some of the scholars' homes. And it was just so like, we essentially walked into to slums, like to the degree, you know, what we would consider, right? Like just, just really, it was just really eye opening to see, to meet and to see how the ministry had basically equipped these, these teenagers and these young adults. And they were just so full of faith and joy and love. And, and because they had this community and, and because God had just moved in their lives. And then we heard like countless stories. Like I remember meeting a young girl and then she introduced us to her mother and then to her grandmother. And it was like three generations of women. And because her mother and grandmother had been brave enough to say, you know what, I'm actually going to pour in and let her be a part of this ministry and go to school. And there was so much, right, that they had to sacrifice just to allow their daughter to, to engage in the ministry and for the ministry to help and for them to go to, for her to go to school that, 
you just sat there. I was just like in tears because it was like, I haven't seen this much strength with this much to lose um, in so long. It was just so, it was so moving. So like, that's like a, a personal, definitely imprint on my heart that the Lord really, just really moved in my heart when I was observing and just, you know, getting to know them. But the ministry as a whole, like the way that we got to partner, knowing that there's a ministry on the ground, you know, you're not just going in for like two weeks trying to start something or like, like, I don't really, and then just leaving, like, you know, that you're partnering with a ministry that's planted, um, that's planted roots and that the Lord has been supporting. And, and then you find out how you can partner with them. So I was super impressed with, with what the ministry was there. So I'm intrigued by the idea that the program is called a scholar program and just the actual mechanics of the strategy uh, ministry, frontline workers, same culture workers, majority same culture workers in Philippines going into these uh, areas with real deep cycles of poverty and disrupting that with and having the beautiful audacity to call this program a scholar program. What are some of the mechanics, either Chris or you, Alexis, that you saw in that program that were you want to highlight? Like this is what they do. Definitely. The Scholar Program has been a longstanding program, and I think that is why it's one of the most successful programs that we support, because it it gives the guarantee to the family that as long as you are allowing your child to take part of this, right, because they still have to go um, to OM and they get to learn about Jesus and they kind of get to grow spiritually, but they're also making the commitment that as long as they're doing that, that their schooling will be supported and that it will be funded. And one of the things that I love to see is that these scholars, they kind of run as a unit. They know that the funding comes um, from a group of people and they, they, they don't like think like, oh, I didn't get a scholarship, but that person got a scholarship. They're very focused on we as a unit have to do all the commitments um, that we have, you know, signed up for. We are there for one another when it comes to studying, when it comes to going to Bible study together, because they they value the education and the opportunity so much. It kind of teaches so much more than just um, what academics can teach. And they know that this is kind of like their opportunity to better themselves and to better um, their families' lives. So it's just really cool to see them do that within a community and know that they're going to to kind of succeed long term if they do it together. So they 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 when they're when the funding is low, they kind of know like we're all going to get the same amount um, and they they don't prioritize one person over the other. So that was just something very inspiring where you really see the culmination of the success of the program is in some of these scholars that Alexis mentioned and that we met that are 18, 19, 20, that once they've graduated and now are in college, either to be um, social workers or teachers, which are professions that they've chosen because of the examples and the mentors that they've had, they're seeking out those 
professions to be able to continue to be a part of the program for the younger generation. And there's such a, you know, like there's a high level of success stories. Like the young people who join this really do move on to areas of fulfilling their dreams and contributing to the flourishing of their community. I think it's just interesting. So oftentimes we think about a scholarship. Someone is giving you money to do a thing. But when I think about just the term scholar or how it's even termed, it almost seems like a speaking over, you know, where young people would say, well, I'm not educated. I don't have opportunity. And the community would feel disempowered because of poverty. When I think about the scholar program, I see it as almost a relabeling. You are a scholar. You are capable of your dreams. And we are empowering you to move forward into those things. I love it. Thank you for sharing a little bit about that. Now, in every trip, there's always that one person that deeply imprints in your heart. And I know, Alexis, you shared a little bit about that. But I am curious to hear, you know, who is that person for you, each of you? Like just this is their name and this is what just imprinted in my heart as I was with them. There were so many people. I'm just taking a second to see who God highlights to me because I I felt like there were so many that we worked with. So I think for me, it really was Nancy, who was the the young girl that I was talking about, you know, she was, um, she was a, you know, an OM scholar and we got to meet, like she took us to her home. We got to meet her mother. We got to meet her grandmother and, you know, seeing, you know, hearing about just like, obviously seeing firsthand, like their living conditions and how they make money, how, close knit they are as a family, how like joy and love um, just exuded out of every conversation you had with them. Humility. I like the whole family moved me, but then obviously watching like three, two generations of women sacrifice go essentially against the system, right? Set up for them to say, we're going to pour in and we're going to sacrifice different parts of, you know, our lives even further. So Nancy can go to school. Like when we talk about the scholar program, yeah, I definitely think the, the terminology is so strategic because it's just speaking to identity. And again, like everything is set up against them succeeding in this system, almost like, especially women. And so I think seeing, just the passion and drive that Nancy had and how moved she was to tears of like the sacrifices her, her grandmother and her mother made for her to be able to step into. Cause you know, you're talking, you're talking time she's spending in school that she could be, she could spend working. Right. Like, so there's a, there's a direct pay, like there's a complete payoff there. Um, and then, yeah, really, it just was, that really impacted me. And then, the other one I feel like God is highlighting right now, it's a little on the sadder note, but it actually, I don't know her name, but I remember we went into a restaurant one night and we were there it was towards the end of the trip. And there was this young girl, really young, sitting at a table with this, this older man. And like all of our antennas went up and all of us like instantly knew that, you know, she was she, he was paying for her to be there or she was being trafficked. Like it was just, she looked so sad and so miserable. 
Um, I think Carice had to like talk me down because I was like, can I go do something? And she's like, no, this is not, this is not a time or moment to um, go Jersey in the Philippines and like freak out and cause the scene. But it just like, I can still picture her face to this day and it just broke my heart. And I just remember thinking like, witnessing that firsthand is so different, you know, like, and obviously everything that the freedom challenge, like that was a moment that I was like, we are here praying, raising awareness. And this is something that we're witnessing firsthand. And it has stuck with me ever since. Yeah. Alexis, I was going to say, I think that it's even beautiful at times when God gives us sort of a nameless individual that we can always have sort of as this intercessory picture of that girl, of that boy, that sort of keeps us focused on that big picture of those individuals he shows us. Thank you for sharing that. It's, that's really powerful. Chris, how about you? Um, so it's hard to, for me to, to pick, to pick a specific story. I'll say this, there was a highlight of, okay, we've been with these young kids that kind of had the opportunity and like now have a better pathway and now have been set free. And then that reminder of like, there's still yet so much more, but sometimes that is other option. And like, that's their cousin. That's, (laughs) that's their aunt. Like they know that like the reason that that person chose that option is because they had no other option and they're the privileged ones that have the opportunity to not, to not pick that. But there's so many things happening that do try and push them into, into that reality. And, and yeah, there was uh, even a moment where the OM team in Philippines gave our team, the mission um, team, the opportunity to experience what those options or lack of options can feel like through kind of like a mock-up, like a simulation of if you were in the Philippines, if you were a Filipino citizen, and if you lived in poverty, and if you were getting offered um, funds, or if you were, you know, if your house was destroyed, they just put us in like a simulation. And I think that is, that was, I think, the third night. And that is when a lot of people on the team, a lot of the women, I think if they were tired or if they were like, I'm trying to understand like where I'm at, what I'm doing, like that's when like everything clicked um, for them because it was very present. Um, Some of even the decisions I feel like that, that we made through that simulation, knowing that it was a simulation um, felt very real and felt very intense. Sounds like a simulation to generate empathy. Like, you know, so often we are given all we, you know, we as a society, especially in the U.S., we don't even realize how much power exists just in that. But to actually be able to place yourself in another culture, in another place with with lack of opportunity, what would I do? It really takes that judgment out. And I love what you said, both of you ladies, highlighting back to this young girl in the restaurant. It sounds like those moments were those, you know, either individual or collective aha moments where things are beginning to shift in the team through the Holy Spirit to be able to say juxtaposition. Here is this opportunity of these young men and um, young women given this opportunity to be relabeled. And then here is this woman right next to them who is very parallel. I like how you even said that, Carice, with an auntie or a friend who had a different way. It's a whole different ballgame when you actually 
put yourself in that situation. I've heard a lot about the heightened or increase or of young men in human trafficking, even sexual exploitation in the Philippines, which is heartbreaking as a mom of two sons. Do either of you want to share a little bit about what you experience with that? I mean, so often we think of the girls, but this is rapidly increasing with the little boys and the young men as well. Yes. So so when we went to the Philippines, right, when we're talking about the scholars, we had both young men and young women. Um, and a lot of the of them gave us either like their personal stories or just stories of their friends that they know. Um, trafficking of young men is also very prominent in Philippines. Philippines is known as a a country where sex tourism happens. So that mm-hmm. means a lot of foreigners um, come to to buy sex from from children, from young men, from young women. There there isn't really, you know, one gender that is more vulnerable than the other. It's just the reality. Um, of it being such a prominent country for human trafficking that, you know, if, if you are a person that is looking for that, you, you will be able to find that. And because there is such a, such a difference when it comes to economic status, mm-hmm. you know, the young men and the young women living in the slums, um, they get offered those those opportunities either to sell drugs or to, um, you know, put themselves in a place of prostitution. And they're usually doing that to be able to support their family. And when we did the simulation, I think there was that example of Mm -hmm. they kind of broke us up into little groups and everyone on the team was either a parent in, you know, a household. So Alexis was a mom and then you were given a scholar or two scholars as your children. And I think that, you know, you can talk a little bit of, mm-hmm. of it was a simulation. So let me state that very clearly <laughs> of just how that was and the different choices that were made by you and by your scholar child yeah. that was a male. Mm-hmm. Um, and just him explaining to you why he he made that choice. Yeah, it um, it was an interesting dynamic for sure. And there was a part of it that we ended up yeah, I was a mom and one of the scholars was my son. And we both like they gave you the opportunity or they were just like, OK, well, hey, come. And the way that they they demonstrated to it was like someone saying, hey, I have a great job for you and you can come and work in this hotel and clean rooms and then you'll make this much money to support your family. And then um, he he and I ended up going and then you find out like, you know, they take you into a back room and it's like it's like well, actually, this is what we're going to do. I need you to do this first. And um, both him and I, and obviously it was like a simulation. So they were just talking through it and they would just like leave us in the room. But then the thing that was interesting is like the way they showed us that if you did not do that, like all of the other things that kept like the system again, almost like working against you. Um, So you would make some money and then it would be like, well, if you come back, you can make this much. And then you would give it to the landlord who would also like steal un- more money from you and tell you that you need. So it was just this constant cycle of of just hardship after hardship, no matter what you tried to do, which is why I think it is so profound that the program and the scholars, like for each of them, both the the boy, the men and the women, boys and girls, 
to choose one to choose God, two to choose school. Like in making that choice, they're they're saying no to a lot of things. Like and and in in ways saying no to making more money, um, being there to support and watch their family, you know, while their parents go out and work. Like there's so many things they have to to say no to to say yes to God, to say yes to like furthering their lives and their careers because of how much is set up against them. And the easy way, I think for parents specifically too, to say, Hey, just take my kid. Um, or for the, you know, the young son or daughter that feels the pressure could go, okay, I'll just like, you know, kind of cave into this. It's, it's amazing that they don't. Well, you also have the built-in, you know, honor, shame, honor culture. And a lot of young people feeling the the real pressure of my family doesn't have food. I I have to make a move here so that I can honor my family. So there's there's so many things built into the system itself that would provide this empathy to say I can see how that would happen and then unlocking the understanding of this prevention piece. That really helped move people forward. Wow. This is big stuff, ladies. Thank you so much for sharing. Okay, let's pull it back up to a, um, a light note. I would love to hear your favorite memory and or something funny that happened on this trip that you'd like to share. Alexis and I were roommates, so there was a lot of <laughs> there was a lot of funny moments. But my favorite was it was it seemed as as if everyone forgot that because it's a freedom challenge mission trip that of course we have to actually do a challenge. Yeah, so when- but I didn't think we were going to do a challenge. <laughs> I've never hiked in my life, and so when Grace asked me, I said, "Well, I have to hike," and she said, "No, this is a missions trip. It's not going to be like a major hike like we do when we climb Mount Kilimanjaro and Everest and all these other insane things." So I was like, "Okay." I'll I'll do it. Okay. Little, little, like, you know, climb up a little bit. That'll be fun. And I'm sure Chris is going to tell you. Yeah. (laughs) Well, one, it was a different um, mountain than what we had originally. Um, But the scholars were like, these are freedom challenge ladies. They can do this. So we reminded everyone, I think the day before, hey, we're going to end, you know, with a, a hike. And when we got there, it was very intense. First, Filipino um, culture, they don't tell you like the actual estimate of like, it'll take you this long. So it kept being like 10 minutes for like three hours. You only have 10 minutes. Um, and then they were also like going way faster than us because this is, this wasn't like the hikes that you have here in the US with like trails that people do all the time. This no, was there like, was no trail. It was like, the size of people's footsteps, if that marked out. And then that wasn't even it yeah. either. And it was just like farmland. Like they, <laughs> they they grow their agriculture on these mountains. So as we're climbing and struggling and sweating and some maybe crying on their way up, there's farmers coming down with their vegetables. Barefoot, <laughs> no shoes. I was like, I was like dry heaving. This is my first ever hike, I think, ever. <laughs> And I was driving and this lovely old, maybe 80-year-old woman is walking down barefoot. And I was just like, this is it. This yeah. is how I go. Like, I don't know what's going to happen after this. It, it was, was little insane. kids laughing at us. It was insane. 
that I got to actually say accomplish it. And yeah, like the whole time I'm like, I'm here for this. Like, this is like, this is the challenge and it's mm-hmm. so much worse. I mean, I just witnessed, I think I had that little like girl in my head, you know, like as I was walking up. So like, it was, it was so intense. It was comical. It was exhausting. We also got to see, I, for my first time, I got to see a, um, a chicken killed. (laughs) ate it in front of us. Like 20 minutes later, we went to the island, like actually slept at the island. Mm -hmm. And that was an amazing. Some of the ladies that were on the mission trip decided to kill the chicken too yeah they, they, they killed their it. chicken and the kitchen's like outside right like it's in like a hut outside that they're so that was really crazy and cool but yeah this is what these trips are made of so let me ask you ladies to all of our listeners what would you say to them by way of exhortation or encouragement about going on a trip like this and getting out of their comfort zone do it yeah it's definitely yeah, it's a must. It's like everything else in life, especially if you feel like God highlighting it or like it, it just is one of those acts of obedience that I think you can't like I gained 10,000 times more than I gave, you know, <laughs> like I feel like and the Lord spoke to me. I like encountered him, have deep lasting friendships out of it. I, I mean, yeah, I just think anytime you're like God offers you the opportunity to step out of your comfort zone, there's there's so much more for you than you realize. And like just being ah, that's not for me. Um, it's a must. Just that's good. Alexa, like, that's awesome. How about you, Chris? I definitely tell every single woman that they should be a part of a Freedom Challenge mission trip, especially if they've done a challenge, maybe even for Alexis, like who hasn't done a challenge like this is just Mm -hmm. the best way of knowing and understanding and being a part of what um the freedom challenge supports and and you know we we can tell you guys all the stories and give testimonies but there's a difference when like you actually encounter and get to like live life and do ministry Mm -hmm. um with with these survivors with these um these young boys and young girls who have gone through every obstacle to get to where they are. Um, Mm. It's a beautiful thing. The perspective shift is so needed always. And I don't mean to sound like go somewhere because you will be changed. Like obviously like God will give you people to encounter people to encourage people to pray for like, you know, ways to donate financially, however it looks like coming out of it. But the in and of itself, the perspective shift, I think is just so necessary and it's just you know we really do get kind of a malaise like just a a, just a hardening on our souls and our self you know especially when we're living in you know this fast-paced western world and north america and stepping out of that does something amazing for the soul for the body for the spirit i agree Ladies, I'm so grateful that you got to share your your experience with me, with us. I appreciate you so much for taking the time to be with me. Now, for the rest of us, we have some plans for 2021. The Lord willing, right? We're lit. We're learning to, as a society, to live with hope in the midst of uncertainty. But as for now, we are moving forward with two 
Freedom Challenge trips, as well as our Freedom Challenges. But these are our experiential trips to have a frontline view to the OM ministries that we have the honor and privilege of supporting. So in 2021, as of now, we're planning to move forward with a trip to Moldova to visit the ministry there at the Vulnerable Boys and Vulnerable Girls Camp. And I'm super excited because Carice and her husband, Chris Williams, will be leading that trip with the team for the men to participate with the Vulnerable Boys, which is a really big deal, and the women to participate with the Vulnerable Girls. That is very exciting for us. We're looking forward to that. And then another trip to Greece, Athens, Greece. I'll be leading that trip, and we will participate in several of the ministries there, including the House of Demarius, which is a three-year program for women. Many of them are refugees who are coming out of a lot of darkness that they unfortunately have been enslaved in through choices that were not their own. If you want to find out more about this, we're gathering an interest list. So you can go to our website, which is thefreedomchallenge.com. There'll be an interest list there for you to put your name on, and we will keep in contact with you as we see how our world is acclimating and moving forward through COVID. I really highly encourage you to pray about it and go a little deeper in challenging yourself. Thank you, everyone, for being with me this week. And until next time, let's continue to do good, help free enslaved women and children, do more than you ever thought physically possible, and do it together, connecting with women who have a heart for a hurting world. God bless you. Thanks for listening to the Freedom Challenge online podcast. If you liked what you heard, join the fight to set women and children on a pathway to freedom across the globe. We are a proud ministry of Operation Mobilization USA and encourage you to learn more at thefreedomchallenge.com and omusa.org for how you can get involved. Follow us on Facebook, on Instagram at the FCUSA, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to let us know what you think. We'll see you next time.